Welcome back. What up, what up, what up? It's AWOD here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM. Phone lines are open, 833-804-0910. 833-804-0910. As we will get to the VCU game last night, and I will uh, recap the disappointing loss at UMass. We will touch on a little dude food food news locally here in Richmond at 145 and talk Dukes with JMU's play-by-play voice Dave Riggert at 2 p.m. We'll drive down Richmond Highway with the czar Gary Hess at 215 but phone lines are open 833-804-0910. It is mock draft season time to mock it up here for the Washington Commanders. Who do you want Washington to draft in the upcoming NFL draft. Not just the first round, number two overall, but they have six picks in the first 102. What position groups would you like Washington to target? That's the question of the day here on The Richmond Commander. It's time for The Richmond Commander. Are you ready for some- The phones are open. It's your chance to be the quarterback of this segment. There's something I like to say. Every day at 1 p.m. on AWOD Radio, The Richmond Commander. Which way will Washington go in the upcoming 2024 NFL Draft? The anticipation is real for April 25th in Detroit, Michigan. And there's a lot of league experts out there predicting the Washington Commanders will move up from number two overall to number one via a trade with Chicago to take USC quarterback Caleb Williams. Many NFL reporters out there have the commanders trading up to number one to select Caleb Williams. Obviously, they're all noting Cliff Kingsbury is the new OC. Cliff Kingsbury was with Caleb last year at USC. The NFL comparisons for Caleb Williams are Patrick Mahomes. What did Mahomes what did Kingsbury say in his introductory press conference? I want to coach Patrick Mahomes again. Well, he did at Texas Tech. Plus, Washington has a new owner, a ton of cap space, and a big need. For a franchise quarterback. That move makes a ton of sense. The question is, can you convince the Bears to trade off of the top spot? Other experts, including Chris Rawling of Yahoo Sports, say the Commanders will take UNC quarterback Drake May. One scout says it's easy to envision a world where the Commanders hire Cliff Kingsbury with the expect purpose, express purpose of trading for Caleb Williams. In that world, Regardless of what you think of Kingsbury, the commanders would greatly benefit from doing so. Then you've got some analysts out there that say Washington will select LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels. Those are the only three guys that I've seen in mock drafts going to Washington. Stubb, have you seen anyone else? I haven't seen much talk about an offensive lineman. I think that'd be a terrible pick at number two overall. If you trade back, maybe that becomes an option. Marvin Harrison Jr. is obviously a hot name. His dad had so much success in this league, and he's been a star in college. But you're not taking a wide receiver at number two and running it back with Sam Howell. That's not happening. Yeah, the only people saying I'm seeing say things that aren't a quarterback are ones that are saying trade down. Right. At the number two, I don't see anything but a quarterback. I'm being reading an out. article on commanders.com right now, and they have three different analysts say Caleb Williams, three say Drake May, and three say Jaden Daniels. That's pretty yeah, much that's where the- we're at. And I want to set the record state real quick. Set the record straight. I am. Still all in on Caleb Williams. I heard people listening to my segment yesterday. They were questioning me. Are you still all in on Caleb Williams? I am. 
But I would like to officially retract my statement, Stub. Okay. I am no longer Caleb or Bust. Okay. All right? Interesting. I'm no longer Caleb or Bust. I am now becoming more and more okay with Drake May. I'm still all in on Caleb. I still think in five years we're going to look back on this and be like, wow, we should have done everything to get Caleb Williams. He's already a pro bowler now, and he's taking a team to the playoffs. But I will not be upset if Washington sits pretty at number two and they wait for Drake May to fall into their lap. I'm also not a Jane Daniels guy. That's Michael Phillips' guy. I'll let you listen to him talk about Jane Daniels for two hours from 10 to noon. He likes the Lamar Jackson comp. I don't hate Jaden. I'm just way more in to Caleb Williams or Drake May in the first round. Yeah. I believe I believe that Drake May, there's a chance that Drake May goes number, number one overall. And that might be my perfect scenario, is that the Bears take Drake May. They say, yeah, we just had a scrambler in Justin Fields. We'll trade him for a second-round pick. We'll start our franchise over again with Drake May. And then Caleb Williams falls into our lap. I don't see that very likely but it's not out of the realm of possibility there are several mocks out there that have drake may sneaking up to number one most of the analysts though believe that caleb williams is the best in this draft in fact grant polson pointed to uh, an nfl scout that he had on his show i thought it was really interesting that scout listed the top five the top five prospects in the last five years Caleb Williams was number one. Drake May was number four. So yes, that's how I saw, good yeah, I saw that. they, they believe Drake May could be, right? I mean, that's, yeah, what, what that's were, really cool to be on that list. you still have that up? What were the other names, the, the two, three, and five? Uh, Trevor Lawrence. Right. I think Joe Burrow and C.J. Stroud probably. Yeah, I think you're right. Those, yeah. those are good names. Those are good, <laughs> those are good players. Yeah. And so, look, I, I think the more we hear about Drake May, the more I watch the film, the more I, I just listen and read articles about other NFL analysts and experts out there, I think the gap between Caleb and Drake May might be smaller than I had originally thought. I still think there's a gap and a drop-off between two and three, between Drake, Caleb, and Jaden Daniels. Okay. I feel I know Jaden Daniels is the Heisman Trophy winner, I just feel like there's a drop-off between those two guys. And look, I kind of said it all along. I, I think Drake May is the most NFL-ready based on his stature. He's six foot five, right? He's mm. got tape of him running people over. He's got tape of him brushing off a tackle and throwing it with his opposite hand, like Patrick Mahomes style. Caleb Williams, though, has two seasons' worth of tape of him running around doing Patrick Mahomes-type things. The only problem with Caleb is he was a little too happy to dance around the pocket and not just throw to his open receiver. And you, you can't get away with that in the pros. You yeah. know, you can't do that for an entire season. Robert Griffin III tried. It broke him, literally. <laughs> literally. Uh, so eventually you do have to throw to your check down receiver, get it to your running back, get everyone involved. Uh, but look, I'm also going to sit back and say I trust the process of Josh Harris hiring Adam Peters and putting him fully in charge of the scouting department and evaluating talent for the draft, right? Yeah. Ron Rivera screwed up the draft and probably set this franchise back five years with drafting Chase Young, with drafting Jamin Davis, with drafting Jahan Dotson. At, at this point, anything they do, I just assume that they made the right decision. That's I trust them I'm that much. Right, now. Like if, right. I'm, not, I'm not in the business of questioning yeah. <laughs> Josh Harris and Adam Peters right now. 
they I might have to look if they draft Drake May and we go five and twelve. I'll question the decision. I will, but right now I'm not in that business. Yeah, if they if they number two, they take JJ McCarthy. I'm gonna think they know something we don't. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not gonna be happy about it right if, off the bat. But they, <laughs> I, I don't want JJ. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, if they draft JJ, I will be very upset. <laughs> Unless they trade back and acquire like eight more picks. Yeah. And that's the thing yeah. that we don't know is what are they thinking and what does their draft board look like? Right? Who do they evaluate as the number one quarterback in this year's NFL draft? How much do they think the quarterback is worth? You know, I saw another article la- uh, last night talking about mock drafts, and one of them had the commanders trading back, and they said, well, the first pick is worth 3,000 points, the second pick is worth 2,500 points, and Washington could get, you know, 500 points worth of draft picks in return for the number two overall pick. I mean, it was stuff that was over my head. It was They were trying to analyze the statistics of how much each pick is worth, but w- the reason I'm bringing that up is because Adam Peters has a history of trading back. He has a history also of trading up. I, th- I think you're crazy to think that the only possibility for Washington is for them to sit at number two and draft whoever's the best guy available. There's a chance that Caleb Williams goes number one, and then all of a sudden the phones are ringing like crazy for the commanders because two different teams want to move up to get Drake May because right. they believe he's the guy. And Washington's sitting back there smiling saying... <laughs> Yeah, well, we really like Jane Daniels, or we really like Bo Nix, and so we'll let you have Drake May if you give us two more second-rounders and a third-rounder because the team here has so many holes. And right. and I believe, I truly believe that Adam Peters and Josh Harris want to do the best they can this offseason to plug all these holes and become a relevant franchise in the first year with Dan Quinn. I don't think they want to be drafting number two overall next year. And right? that's why I think free agency quarterback. That's an option. Look, I, I'm I'm not completely against Kirk Cousins. I just, you know, I, I was talking with Scott Abraham about this yesterday, and, and he mentioned it. Like, you do not have the number two overall pick very often. You might as yeah. well <laughs> swing for the Josh Burrow, or excuse me, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen type quarterback when you have this opportunity. Yeah, it, it, but if they trade back... I, I don't know if, if it's even worth taking your eighth pick on, like, a J.J. or a Bo Nix. Right. When you could take, like, a Marvin Harrison if he's somehow still there or something like that. That's my mindset of this. Right. Or even, you know, maybe you get you get a team that's all in on Jaden Daniels, and you have them believing that he's your number two quarterback, and you just trade back from two to three. And then you yeah. take Drake May. Yeah. I mean, there's so many possibilities of trades that could happen this upcoming NFL draft, and we're going to be following it all all off-season long ahead of the 2024 NFL draft in Detroit, April 25th. We'll have your coverage on 910 The Fan, Richmond's home for the Washington Commanders. Phone lines are open, 833-804-0910. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. Here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM, Richmond's home for VCU basketball. Ram Nation, you know you can hear every game right here on 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. As the slow start dooms VCU at UMass, they lose in Amherst, Massachusetts, the Mullins Center last night, 74-52. to uh, Just couldn't get going. The Rams missed their first 14 field goal attempts as UMass built a 17-2 lead to open the contest and then took a 12-point lead 
into the locker room. Uh, Roosevelt Wheeler got some decent action off the bench for VCU. I thought that was a bright spot also. Fats Billups, but besides that, there just wasn't much for Ram Nation to sink their teeth into last night. The team shoots 17 of 56 from the field. It was just garbage. That's 30%. uh, Gave up 47% to UMass. And really, they just got burnt down low. Both Josh Cohen and Matt Cross both scored double figures. 18 for Cross, 20 for Cohen. And it wasn't the fact that they scored 18 and 20 points. It was how efficient they did it. Matt Cross missed two shots, 7 of 9. He hit 3 of 3 from the 3-point line. Josh Cohen, 7 of 10. He also went 1 of 1 from the 3-point line. Matched that with Rajul Diggins hitting two threes. And VCU just had no answer for the UMass offense. (coughs) I think you got to give Frank Martin a lot of credit. It felt, it felt like they had watched the tape. They knew how they could take advantage of the, the bigs for VCU off the film, and they just ran their sets to perfection, and they scored when they wanted to, and then defensively, they had like a pack line defense. You know, here's what I really think is that they were getting away with hand-checking, right? Max Shulga, Joe Bamisil, Zeb Jackson, none of those guys could get past their man one-on-one and get into the heart of the defense. UMass was getting away, in my mind, with a lot of, you know, using your hand to keep the ball and and the ball handler in front of you. But they got away with it at home. And, and, you know, that's the type of tough defense that's hard for VCU to score against. Dayton does it as well, where they say, hey, you're not getting into the paint because you're just simply not getting past the man guarding you. You can go to the left, you can go to the right, you're not getting downhill. And that's what UMass did. And so VCU was kind of forced to do too many passes offensively, and then at times, the ball didn't move. It didn't stay hot. It stayed in Shulga's hand. It stayed in Jackson or Barristow's hand, and they couldn't get off a good shot. It was a lot of throwing it up at the end of the shot clock. The shot selection was not good for VCU as they scored just 52 points coming off of their biggest game of the year offensively in which they had 95 on the road at St. Louis. So the Rams lose at UMass, but there's a ton of good college hoops tonight. We'll break it down right now here on University Drive. Let's go to University Drive. Scores, buzzer beaters, madness. All the college basketball in the state of Virginia. We'll follow your favorite teams all season long. University Drive on AWOD Radio. All right, number 12, the Illinois Fighting Illini, 10-4 and four in the Big Ten, are at Penn State. And head coach Mike Rhodes, stub VCU basketball coach Mike Rhodes, moved to Penn State, took Ace Baldwin okay. and Nick Kern with him. There's actually some Penn State tea right now. Penn State tea? Well, yeah, it's actually kind of juicy. So Ace Baldwin obviously took a big NIL deal to go to Penn State. Same with Nick Kern. Well, Kanye Clary was on the roster last year as a point guard. He was averaging like four points per game. He got up to 18 points per game. He was out playing Ace Baldwin in Orlando when I saw them and for most of this season. Then Baldwin started getting going, and it's just tough to start two guards that are below six foot, and that's what Mike Rhodes and Penn State was doing, and they were good defensively. They weren't scoring enough, Um, and they started losing games. And to try to mix it up, Rhodes moved Kanye Clary to the bench and gave Ace Williams kind of the keys to the franchise. Well, Kanye Clary must have complained. He has since 
been kicked off the team. Oh, kicked off the team. Kanye Clary kicked off the Penn State basketball team. This is a guy here that was their leading scorer. <laughs> 23 games into the season at 16.7 points per game, a 37% three-point shooter, and he was removed from the Penn State basketball team. That's some juice I right there. I want to know what he did. What tea. did he say? I, I think he probably got into a fight with Ace or into a fight with, with Coach Rhodes. And, uh, you know, Coach Rhodes had, had kicked some players off the team in the past at VCU. Uh, but yeah, not a great start to this to his career at Penn State. They're below 500, 12 and 14, six and nine. But look, the, the reason he moved to the Big Ten is because almost every game you get a, a chance to boost your resume. If they could somehow defeat number 12 Illinois, all of a sudden I think they'd be back in the conversation as a bubble team. Duke, number eight in the country, they're on the road at Miami. Miami. Needs this win. They're desperate for a top 25 win to be a uh, a resume booster for Coach Laranega's squad. They went to the Final Four last year. Is now on the outside looking in to the NCAA tournament. Good top 25 matchup in the SEC. Number 24, Florida at number 13, Alabama. Uh, Coach Oates of Alabama's got a good squad once again this year. Of course, they, I believe, made it to the Elite Eight last year. Lost a few guys to the NBA draft, but they're back. In the A-10, we've got a top 25 matchup on ESPN+. I'm a little frustrated by this. The A-10 needs to have a better TV deal moving forward if we want to be taken seriously, right? Like, you just can't have your games on ESPN Plus when your team is top 25 in the nation in the Dayton Flyers. Nobody's going to watch that game tonight. They're at Eagle Bank Arena, Fairfax, Virginia, to face off against George Mason. And the conference is trying to get national respect. And they've got a top 25 team. That game has to be on television. Has to be on TV. Pisses me off so much. 9 p.m. on FS1. Shaka Smart and Marquette trying to bounce back from the 28-point butt whooping they received from UConn. Well, they have got a good chance hosting 0-14 DePaul. DePaul, the worst team in the Big East. <laughs> Kentucky's on the road at LSU. That's going to be a, a really interesting matchup there uh, as Kentucky has really a lot of NBA players. Like, I've watched Kentucky a few times this year. They're not a great team. They're fifth in the uh, SEC right now, just eight and four. And as of late, they've won two in a row. Uh, but they are just so talented. Like, that, it's just blowing my mind how Calipari does this almost every year. Antonio Reeves is going to get drafted. Reed Shepard's a freshman. He'll probably stay two or three years. Uh, DJ Wagner will get drafted. Uh, the forward, Ivisic, that's only played seven games right now, will get drafted. They just have so much NBA talent that by March, usually they turn into a team <coughs> and start playing some good basketball. So that's kind of your top 25 action here on University Drive. Uh, but we want to focus on the local schools, and we'll start in the ACC. UVA looking to bounce back from the tough defeat to Virginia Tech. Well, they will host North Carolina. John Paul Jones Arena. That game's not until Saturday. So they've got all week to prep for number 10 ranked Tar Heels. Look, they're going to have to score the ball because North Carolina will score. UVA's not going to win this game in the 40s. I think it's going to take 60 points for them to win and they're going to have to lock down defensively against Armando Baycott. 
Virginia Tech, they're at Pittsburgh. That's going to be a tough game for your Hokies, Stubb. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the only game that really matters is UVA at home, and we crush them, and so we're happy there. I think we're kind of out of out of having a good season, but we made the U, made UVA sad, and I think that's what it's all about at this well, point. Well, you got to win one or two games before the end of the ACC regular season because as of right now, Virginia Tech would be playing in the Tuesday ACC tournament game, and that's just it's too yeah. tough to expect them to win Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I don't have high hopes for them. No. I'm, I'm satisfied with the season. <laughs> Were you still in school when they won it like two years ago, right? Yeah. 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 I was, I've been in school the last four years. Yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, you had that excitement right yeah. there. They proved they can get hot in March. Mike Young's squad seems to always live by the three, die by the three. They uh, had a terrific performance against Virginia. We'll see if they can use that momentum and win at Pitt. I think... If you're a Hokies fan right now and you're looking at them to set themselves up to have a chance to compete for the ACC tournament title, they've got to win at Pitt. They've got to win at Louisville and home against Notre Dame. I think they can drop Syracuse and Wake Forest, but you've got to win three of the next five games. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new Sports Radio 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Final game, I should mention, here on University Drive. And, of course... It's that team over in Henrico. The Richmond Spiders, now third in the A-10, 10-2 during conference play. They are at Rhode Island tonight. Rhode Island has struggled. They're 5-7 and seven in the A-10. Richmond trying to hold on to a top-four spot and trying to compete for an A-10 regular season title. They are just half a game back of Dayton and Loyola Chicago could tie them in the standings with a win tonight. That was University Drive on AWOD Radio. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM. Phone lines are open throughout the show. 833-804-0910. We'll drive down Richmond Highway with the czar Gary Hess at 2.15. Uh, we got Lauren Cox, who is a Bears reporter. I want to find out if the Bears are locked in to Caleb Williams or if they're possibly going to trade that pick and run it back with Justin Fields. We'll get the Bears' perspective on the upcoming NFL draft at 2.30. But right now it's time for the Cowan Gates Hokies update with Bill Roth. What's going on, Bill? Good afternoon. Good to talk with you again. Good to talk with all the Hokies in uh, in Richmond, and uh, we're excited. We got a bit, huge basketball weekend coming up here, and it's already been a pretty good week for uh, Hokie hoops. Yeah, is it nine wins in a row for the Lady Hokies? Yeah, they're up to ra- uh, number eight in the rankings. And Sunday, Tech plays North Carolina. It'll be the final regular season home game. They're likely poised to host NCAA tournament games at Castle. Uh, but it'll be the last game for that group of seniors, and college game day is coming to Castle for Sunday before the game, which is exciting for our, our players and the fans here. It's sold out. Again, every women's game has been sold out, and it's amazing. I, I, I was looking on Vivid Seats and SeatGeek, like the prices. Secondary market ticket for this Liz Kitley's final game in Castle rivals any football game we've ever had at Virginia Tech. Mm. It's incredible what the prices are for these tickets from the secondary market. That's unbelievable. Hey, hey, Bill, you know, it's it's kind of a cop-out, easy thing to say, but it feels to me when I watch Virginia Tech, the key to them every game is 
for them to win the first quarter. When they get off to a good start, they usually win. Well, they're winning most of their games regardless. But, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's funny. They're, they're, they've played their last four games on the road in a row were uh, at Syracuse, at Carolina, at NC State, and at Louisville. Yeah. All four teams were ranked on the road. And, and the Hokies won all four of them. And, and the Syracuse game up at the Dome, it was 23-9 to after the first quarter. And this game Sunday at the Yum Center three days ago was a blowout. I mean, the, the Hokies had them down 20 at halftime. And they, they've got a really good team at Louisville. They've gone to the Final Four a few times. They had 12,000, 13,000 people in their arena. And it was crazy. And it was a blowout. And you're right. When, when they're really good at, at, at on the road, particularly the last couple of weeks, ending the game early. Like it was that wasn't really over after the first quarter, but you know you get the other team down by like 15 points on their home gym early. Uh, it's pretty impressive, and no one has been able to stop the the duo of Amor and Kidley in in our league. And uh, but that being said. There's 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 the regular season left, the ACC tournament, and then the NCAA tournament for this team. So, hopefully, they can make a repeat to the Final Four, but this time, win those last two games. You know, what seed do you think they could get up to? I, I've been saying may, possibly a two seed. Uh, they were a number one last year, right. uh, and as of right now, on that bracketology for the women's side, they're a two. And that's because NC so, State's above them, which is crazy because the Hokies beat them twice. Right. Right. However. Right. You, yeah, I get it. But, you know, the thing is, as long as you're in the top four, you get to play NCAA tournament games at home in the first and second round. Yeah. So, it, it's it's yes, you'd love to be a one, but the difference between a one and a two is negligible, right? Whereas the difference between a four and a five is pretty dramatic, right? Right? You don't want to be a you don't want to be a five and have to go on the road to play because if you're a four, you're get, you're going to get two home games, which you know, I don't know that it's fair in women's basketball that that happens. It's not, you know, there's clearly not neutral sites for these first two games. But if you have earned a home game or two, then you should take advantage of it. I think that's that's the way you got to play it. And and you know, they're not guaranteed wins because you're at home, but it but it's nice to play in your home arena for sure. Bill, do you do you have any idea? Has anybody, men or women, been ACC Player of the Year three times? No. Love that. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know her number will be retired here, her jersey, and uh, you can you can look at the stats. She's the she's the best basketball player ever at Virginia Tech, men's or women's, and her statistics and her player of the year, all these accolades. But even the statistics, I mean, she's had what? She's going to have when, when her career is done. She's going to have like eighty something double doubles. Right. Yeah, I mean that's just unbelievably. Dominant. I mean, her her numbers compared to everybody else that has played here are like, you know, they're like Wayne Gretzky statistics. Like, like he's lapped everybody that's second, and it's like that. That's the way she, her statistics are here. And but she's the sweetest, nicest young lady. She's the most incredible teammate. Uh, you know, everything that you would want. And and well, we're just so lucky that she's here. And yeah, the, the the Kitley jersey will be hanging from our arena here for, for uh, forever when they decide to make that happen. 
All right, let's move over to the men's side of things. How about that butt whooping of UVA, seventy-five to forty-one? It was low scoring for about the first six minutes of the game, and then the Hokies started scoring, and UVA did not. <laughs> yeah, you could see the. You know, it's funny. You you saw the flaws of both teams Monday night and uh, early in this season. You saw Virginia. You know, they a couple of times on the road, several times on the road, they got really. You know, out of it, they get behind early. They, they're not built to speed the game up and press and, and go up and down. And, and, and Memphis got them pretty good and some others. And that's what happened in Castle. It was a 12-12 game, and then the Hokies scored, what, 20 straight points? And and the crowd got into it. And I, I went to both press conferences following the game, both Coach Young and Coach Bennett's, and it was interesting. Neither guy saw it coming. Mm-hmm. Like, they both thought it would be a close game. There was no indications. The game was tied at 12. Right at no, but I think at the first TV timeout it was two to two, right? Yeah, uh, I think it was four so to the, two. The, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There was there was no indication, even four, six, seven minutes into the game, that it was going to be a forty point kind of wh- uh, whooping. And but you know, I think again, the crowd really affected that game. It really impacted Virginia. Yeah, and. Hey. I, I don't. They, I did, they didn't want to be there. Like you could just see their body language. Like, yeah, there's 16 minutes to go in the game, and they they, they went, let's go get our meal and go. You could kind of tell. Uh, every loose ball, Tech got. Every second chance basket, Tech got. Um, the crowd was just ridiculously intense. Yeah. And uh, just like we see in football, and I and I like that. You know, our our, our students have really taken ownership of our sports teams here. Every game sold out on the men's side, and you know they're an NIT team, and you can't get in. So it goes to show you where we are right now with this particular group of our students, and and clearly our fan base right now. You know, I want to give Coach Mike Young a ton of credit. You know, a lot of people have told me he's a magician on the offensive end with his sets, and you saw that against UVA when his players run the offense with confidence. They get open looks, and when you're open and you're playing with confidence, you're going to knock them down. It was just great to watch those offensive sets where everybody was involved. MJ Collins getting an open look, and then Poteet's getting a bucket. And it wasn't just Hunter Couture and Padula like you've had for a lot of the season. Yeah. You know, the game in Charlottesville, Coach Bennett, they did a really good job of taking Lynn Kidd out of the game. They, they were physical with him. Uh, they banged him around a little bit. They denied him way better. First possession here Monday night. The first play they lob it into Kidd and he scores. And 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 if you look at the Virginia Tech basketball this year, the men's side, like when Lynn Kidd contributes, they win. They need that. They need that guy to to, to produce. Yeah. Not just get touches, but but get points and rebounds. He did not at JPJ. Uh, that Virginia did a good job. They were physical with him. They were physical on the perimeter. Monday night, they, they were neither, and, and that's what Coach Bennett talked about. Like, you, you, they let him catch the ball on the block and turn and score over and over and over. And that's not UVA. And, that, and I think, you know, that's something. You know, I'm, I'm going to be really interested to see how they play this week because Baycott is incredible. And obviously, Hubert Davis and that staff is watching, you know, UVA post defense. But, you know, the Cavs are, are like the Hokies, they, they play so much better at home. They play with a lot of confidence. Their crowd helps them in Charlottesville. And, you know, I it would not shock me. Would it shock you one bit if Virginia beats Carolina? If no. Virginia 
figures I, a way to control Baycott. Well, that's what I was saying. I wouldn't wouldn't shock me if they beat Carolina and Duke over the next three games. You know. Yeah, but, but that's my point. So, like, you Virginia's kids, I'm sure you know you, you're going to watch the tape and like. We'll talk next week, but it wouldn't shock me if they're going to go. You guys did a great job on Baycott, but you couldn't corral Lynn Kidd. And that's a credit to Lynn, and that's a credit to Tech, and it's a credit to Castle Coliseum, and just the way it is, right? The difference of home versus being on the road uh, in, in, in our league and in, in all of college basketball. Yeah. Bill, why we got you? Is there any news on the football team? Nothing of note. Good question. I met with our some of our coaches yesterday. Just to, I do a Every year I do kind of a what would be the best way to put it a gaggle kind of thing or just you know we just sit down and kind of just sit in their office and talk about things and players to watch and I'm going to have a column coming out on in hokiesports.com in my Roth report here just about the the mental ascension that Kyron Drones has made that you know we saw his running ability this year he was great just an amazing player at 240 pounds you saw his passing he was among the ACC leaders in passing efficiency and touchdowns but what they were most impressed with, Adam, was his ability to run audible and and and, know to, and change pass protections based on the defense. Yeah. And they showed me a couple of examples during the course of the year where, and I'll get more into this, in, in, I have to write it first, but uh, I think anyone who's coached or played football knows, like, you've got a young quarterback, teams are trying to trick him, they're trying to disguise defenses. There were several running plays this year where he changed the running play. He changed the uh, the scheme and the actual play call, the blocking scheme and the play call at the snap. And it went for a big run. And they brought up uh, one against Pitt, two against Virginia, and two against Tulane. These are running plays that, that went and they said, no, that was not the play call. Dr- drones checked into it, even though it looked like the play would work based on what the defense was doing, but they were they were disguising it. They were trying to trick him, and and so he's thinking along, not necessarily outsmarting a defensive coordinator, but he he was able to anticipate what the defense was going to do. So I was really interested in that because that's way above my head. You know how to how to change a running play based on where the Sam linebacker might be going, and drones got into that through lots and lots of film work. And lots of really good work with with Tyler Bowen, who's the, the offensive coordinator and quarterback coach. That's awesome. You just got me fired up, Bill. Always appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so yeah, much. You never, you, yeah, someone rips off an eighteen yard run. You don't. You don't often credit the quarterback, right? Yeah, but but that's that's what they showed me yesterday, and I'm like, that's really cool. Good job. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a good season for the Hokies, bringing everyone back offensively. That's Bill Roth. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD on the fan. Welcome back. What up, what up, what up? It's AWOD here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM. Phone lines are open throughout the show. That's 833-804-0910. 833-804-0910. Stubb, you'll... Uh, be excited to hear this. Elizabeth Kitley will join the show Ooh. before her final game uh, at home. That's going to be <clears throat> Saturday, I, I believe. I am excited about that. Yeah, so we'll get her on. Just heard back from our buddy Carter Brown with the Hokies Athletics. She's going to join the show for the next uh, one of the next two days. So we still got to uh, drive down Richmond Highway with the czar, Gary Hess, uh, get his take on the ACC and the A-10. He's our college basketball insider at this time. 
of the year. We'll hear from Lauren Cox, a Bears reporter. What Chicago's thinking with the number one overall pick in the upcoming NFL draft and game day, spotlighting the biggest sporting events of the night. Uh, that's coming up at 2.45. But right now, I did want to give out my final review for True Detective Season 4. That's the lead story on Netflix. Netflix, the best of streaming services, TV, movies, books, podcasts, and more. We've got you covered on Netflix. All right, Stubb. Do you follow a lot of social media accounts that talk about movies yes. and television? Yes, I do. <laughs> right? Like, I've got a ton I can name. Yeah. Off the top of my head, I, I lo- uh, follow Culture Crave and, okay. and listen to them a lot, all right? Discussing Film is my favorite. Oh, I love Discussing Film, that's love a good them. one. Uh, there's another one. It's called, like, Pop Pop, pop Crave. Pop Crave. Pop Crave, yeah. yeah. Um, but this is what they say about True Detective. I could not agree more, all right? True Detective Season 4. Most viewed season yet. Averaging 12.7 views per episode. I've really enjoyed it. I'm watching it. My parents are watching it. My friends are watching it. It feels like True Detective is back. Season one was fantastic. Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey just hit it out of the park. I think it's the greatest television series that we've had in the last 15 years. Like, it's that good. I I will take your word as I have no opinion on the matter. And you don't (laughs) feel like finishing it, huh? I do want to. But you just have other things. Yeah. And you you have, like, an issue with television shows. I don't have an issue. Well, like, I don't have an issue. Like, I don't think they're wrong. You don't need a I tissue. I just have a personal. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, something holds me back every time. You'd rather watch a movie and have it finish. Yes. Problem is that every movie that gets made nowadays has a sequel coming. Yeah, yeah. but that's fine. Like, okay. I, and, and also, like, I, not really. Or, like, I'll just watch. I don't know. I watched Leprechaun 3 yesterday. Like, I'll watch anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, most viewed season yet. Season 4, True Detective. If you're watching it, give us a call now. 833-804-0910. It's the lead story today on Netflix. Highest rated season on not Rotten Tomatoes, 92%. Really? Everybody is loving it. Recency Here's the bias. problem. The finale is currently the lowest rated episode ever in the series at 5.7 and I was just very underwhelmed by the finale very much so I felt like it was a cop out they didn't answer all the questions they just kind of pointed to ghosts and goblins and Uh. demons and they didn't really solve the mystery you didn't really get revenge for the death on her sister and you know it left me very underwhelmed I think I think that plays into a lot of my issues with TV as well is most TV shows don't know how to end anymore you think of like like I, I've never watched Game of Thrones and I've heard that it ends terribly. Yeah. And that doesn't make me want to get into it. Or all these sitcoms that have too many I, seasons. I always argue that the first eight seasons, I believe, of Game of Thrones are really good. Nine and ten are bad, or seven or eight are bad, whatever uh-huh. it is. But as bad as the final season is, I do think it kind of wrapped up nicely. Okay. I think they rushed it. Right. Yeah. I mean, da- Daenerys Targaryen, right? You know, Stormborn, right? Denny, sure. whatever you the say, the queen of the dragons, whatever you, you know, say, Amelia Clark, <laughs> hot blonde, right? Sure, sure. She went from like a sweetheart to a murderer in like ten minutes in, the, in oh, one of the yeah, episodes. Okay. <laughs> and besides that, and then they had the stupid coffee cup, like yeah, how is well, Starbucks whatever. showing up in an episode? Uh, but interesting, you know, I did think the final seasons were bad. Uh, but there was some good wrap-up. But there, True Detective did not wrap up well okay. at all in my mind. My dad said there's a good article on the Washington Post style section about the <laughs> ending where the producer said they basically wanted to leave it up to the viewer that one of the characters returns or doesn't return. 
I hate when producers do that. You make the damn decision. You're the director. Stop leaving it up to me. There's there's some merit to doing something like that if you do it in a way that's interesting. Right. Like the Sopranos at the end. I hated that. Whatever you say. They just cut to black. They just cut to black, and we don't know what happened. Movie example. Uh, Yeah, I know. But there are a ton of movies that are like that, too. Yeah, and they're usually good. I like Leave it up to the perspective of the audience. I like something that leaves you thinking. When I come to a movie, I don't really want to think. I want you to do the thinking for me. Show me who the damn murderer is at the end. Don't leave leave me questioning. Yeah, so this is where we depart. Right? (laughs) Because you want to go to a movie. You want to go to a movie and don't think. And then you, well, you want to go to a movie, and then you want to be on a Reddit thread for three hours oh, after the don't, movie. Don't pretend I, I don't use Reddit. I will not take that slander. All right, you, whatever, I do not use you're Reddit. You're using some other blog out there. No, I, do, I don't know. I just think about it. Talk yeah. to my friends about it. Yeah. You know, it's just, I watch. I don't really Ooh. like doing that. I like no, you know, getting I back think. to my life. I want to be challenged <laughs> by art. All right, so my official review for True Detective, just like they said on Culture Crave, I loved the season. I do think it was the best season since season one. The finale was basically a 5.7, just like they said. Oh, it's not bad. very good. It just completely kind of fell off. Uh, you know, this, the episode before the finale, one of the main characters gets killed, and that's like the most intense scene of yep. the whole season. Okay. And I was like, I was telling my dad, I was like, that scene was what I want in True Detective. A murder happens right in front of you. They have to solve it. They've got to clean up the blood, all that good stuff. There was just too much, you know, ghosts and goblins for me. I didn't like the yeah, paranormal I guess that's activity. That's kind of not what you want. Like I, I, I love a ghost and goblin story, but, but it has a, to be. That's not true. That's not detective. what I want from true that. True detective is supposed I to follow. be like a good yeah. murder mystery where you have the best detective on the planet solve this because nobody else can. Yep. Yeah. Jodie Foster was okay. I love Jodie. I'm Foster, out on the ghost. I love Jodie. Out on Foster. the ghost. Yeah. And 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 then the, the final scene. It's like, well, this is just what happens in Ennis, Alaska. Ghosts live among us. Doesn't make me want to visit Alaska anytime soon. <laughs> no, thank Wait, you. Would you have you have plans? I did. You did. <laughs> the I lovely to state see of a Alaska. Polar bear in person. <laughs> what do you want to bring up today uh, here? Let's on see. I, I caught two more best picture noms. I was at five. Now I'm at seven. Uh, so I want to talk about past lives. I, I would highly recommend Past Lives. I've heard really good yes. things about that. Who's the cast? Uh, directed by Celine Song. I don't know if you're you'll know any of the cast. I didn't. It's a. Uh, John Magaro was the only one I knew who was in uh, the big short in a smaller role. Mm-hmm. It's the two uh, the two leads aren't very big names. Greta but, Lee. But and explain the bit for me because somebody told this to me before. Didn't they they like come back to life or something? What's no, the no, bit? no. It's it's a very simple rom drum uh-huh. about uh, this this girl who grows up in I think it was Korea. Okay. With with like you know like she she was like thirteen and there was a boy and they were like oh we're gonna marry each other. And the girl moves to New York. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she has her own life. They kind of separate and, and that kind of thing. And she falls in love with another guy there. And then this guy back in Korea has been in love with her the whole time. And, like, a decade passes. And he goes to visit. And it's just kind of like, it's just them talking and, like, what could have been kind of story. Like, she's moved on, but he hasn't. I'm so bored by this definition of the movie. <laughs> really, Stub? Yeah. I'd heard better things. I thought there was some kind of action. No, no, no. God, no. <laughs> It was a really good. It was. I it, don't need to hear about a guy reminiscing about a girl from ten no, years ago. No, it's just a really interesting story, and it's really good character, and it's just about like there's something called Inyun they talk about, which is just like their past lives, past like 1500s. Maybe they were like friends, and just each life you kind of get closer and closer. It's a really interesting topic. You look really bored and like I'm are. Sm- <laughs> I'm so bored right now. I'm ready to move on. 
<laughs> Did you hear each member of the Beatles will get their own movie? Yes, I'm so excited. I can't wait to watch the Ringo <laughs> yeah. movie. Sam Mendes has revealed he's telling the story of the greatest band in history in four parts. John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison. But I can't, can't wait, wait for the Ringo, for the Ringo movie. Ports, <laughs> I love wait. Ringo. Could it be? Ringo's right. the best. Uh, and Sam Mendes is good. He did 1917. Uh, yeah. A couple other good things I'm blinking on. 1917's much better than Dunkirk, in my mind. I haven't I seen either. Really? Yes. Well, you don't really like war movies that much, do no. you? I mean, uh, have you seen the one? one. Uh, what's the war movie? Saving Private Ryan? No, no. Well, duh. Have you seen yeah, that I mean, one? That's a great one, obviously. Uh, but have you seen the one with Jeremy Renner? Uh, Hurt Locker? Locker? No, that's been on my list Dude, forever. that is like a 10 yeah, out of 10. that's been on my list. I mean, because I just, that's one of those movies where it's high stakes every scene. Yeah. All, he's like a, he, ta- he gets rid of bombs, right? And mm-hmm. so, you know, it's just like every yeah. scene you feel like he could explode. Yeah. I talked about this yesterday. I was hoping for that from Sicario, and it did not It did not land for me. So no, maybe the Hurt Locker will, will hit Sicario's better. like low stakes but high reward ending. That's what I kind of viewed it as. Eh. But you didn't like the ending. When he marks the entire family, you didn't no, like No, it's that? like fine. I, I don't know. I, I, I was hoping for like more tension yeah. or stakes to end it off with. It, it was just kind of like an, he, he, he faced no conflict there, emotional, moral, or physical. We should mention so. we are getting closer to... The season premiere of Survivor. Yeah. I believe it's next Wednesday, right? That sounds right. I think it's next yeah, Wednesday. I think 28th we, was... Yep, we mentioned we're going to do a Survivor, Survivor pool with members of the office here at 910 The Fan and audience members. You could tweet us at AWOD Radio at 910 The Fan if you want to be involved. I know I've got two uh, P1 listeners like Mike. He listens all the time and he tweets me. He heard us mention it last week. He's all in. All right. He's been scouting out uh, this season's cast. And he's the one that told me, did I bring this up on air, that this cast this year is like they're all influencers and I don't really like oh. that bit. I think it could be the greatest season or the worst season of all time because remember last year they had the influencer on I think his name was like Bradley or something he was the second to go home he quit I just, influencers feel like quitters to right. me and that's the um, thing is yeah. I hated it but it might be interesting if like 10 people quit during the <laughs> season and they're just like we have to just hand out a million dollars to whoever lasts whoever doesn't quit right. whoever doesn't quit <laughs> no doesn't challenges no votes about can you live on an right, island living for on an island off of rice yeah <laughs> I can't wait for it new season comes back next week I'm Adam Epstein you're listening to AWOD Radio on the fan